we will all remember this moment for the rest of our lives. It was dramatic, it was visual. It was stupid. It was stupid, but it was also theater. Welcome to 50 Films, a podcast where each week we watch a movie and decide if it belongs on our list of the 50 best films of all time. I am Bobby, and I am here with Brian. Hello. Hello, and welcome. You ready to talk about 1984's Amadeus? I am. I am. This, this is one of the few, or maybe only of this series, that we have both previously seen, I think. I think so, yes. This is the penultimate movie in our Artists at a Crossroads series. We have covered once... A tick, tick, boom, and all that jazz. And we'll be closing out the series uh, next time with Inside Lewin Davis. But this week is 1984's Amadeus, directed by Milos Foreman and written by Peter Schaffer, starring Tom Hulse and F. Murray Abraham. Tells the story of Mozart in Vienna and his friendship slash mostly rivalry with Salieri, the court. They're, 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 they're frenemies. I would say on Mozart's side, they're frenemies. Yes. <laughs> the other way around, they're just pure enemies. <laughs> yeah. Every week we start kind of talking about the movie and sort of its place and everything. Brian, Brian usually tries to guess when movies open. This is, 1984 is a little outside Brian's purview. It as is. Far, as it, far it's, as it's like. The year, it's the year of my birth. Can you guess, give a guess about when Amadeus opened? It opened on like 25 theaters and then expanded out after that, but never to that many theaters. I think it's max was like 600 or 700 theaters during its my run. My guess would be an October release. So very close, September 21st, okay. 1984 was its opening day. And then, but October's more correct when you talk about when it actually hit, I guess, wide. Right. And wide in 84 is still like 500 Yes, exactly. And I think that's about where it landed at, at its widest. It was a huge success. It made 51 million, almost $52 million. Do you have the adjusted for inflation number? $137 million this movie would have made. It was the 12th highest grossing movie of 1984, which is pretty crazy. We talk about this a lot, how like movies like this wouldn't, they would be straight to Netflix sure. or something at this point. And they're giant hits at this point. It gets, it gets nominated for what is it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven Academy Awards, of which it wins eight for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor. Actor. F. Murray Abraham wins it wins for Best Screenplay, Best Art Direction, Best Costume Design, Best Makeup, and Best Sound. Those um, are crazy too, because usually usually they would do some nonsense of like putting Hulse in as supporting, you know. Yeah. But back then it was like, well, there are two of you. I guess we're gonna put it you both up and yeah. To be able to win with a split vote is crazy. It is crazy. It absolutely is crazy. Emilius Foreman, this was his second second win for Best Director. He won for Cuckoo's Nest about eight years, nine years before this. Um, and he was nominated again for The People vs. Larry Flint in 1997. So like every decade or so, he would get nominated for a Best Director Oscar. It's a huge hit. It's it's one of the most successful movies of the year and, and with a ton of Oscars saw it for the first time in social studies class. <laughs> I, I at least saw it in music class. Yeah. 
which we now know is just when the teacher was hung over. I had that very, very nice DVD that they that they had out for it, which was kind of like the, the you pull it out of the, the you know, the, the case, the slip case, and it folds out and it's got multiple discs, a lot of good special features. I was very into this movie, but it has been probably a good decade or more since I've actually watched it. It's probably more than that, honestly. So the first time you watched this was also in school, though. Yeah, I did not remember it being as long as it was. because So there's a director's cut that was put out in 2002. It's kind of the only thing you can find these Yeah, days. it's like almost impossible to find the original cut. But when we saw it in school, it was, I'm sure, on VHS. And we saw the two-hour, 40-minute cut, mm-hmm. which if you think about, like, 40-minute periods, that's your week. Yeah. <laughs> it's all week. But yeah, I did watch it in school. And I, what's strange is, because I, I, I will not go into this deeply because it, it drives you insane. I'm just going to touch on it real quick. But it, it was released as a PG rated movie. Hmm, and okay. the director's cut is rated R. And I have no idea why. But I have a memory in my head, which is, which is false because of. There of, are boobs. There are and, boobs. But yeah. apparently, there are not boobs in the theatrical cut. That's what I would figure. Yeah. Right. So when I saw it in school, sans boobs mm-hmm. so why that disclaimer is stuck in my head i do not know <laughs> this um, is my first time seeing the boobs <laughs> or, or i mean it is absolutely cleavage heavy no matter what yeah so maybe that was what the you know for, for a bunch of giggling whatever we were you know, 13 year olds 14 year olds yeah. tell us that but no I've, I've only seen it the one time segmented oh wow okay so this is good then yeah i, I mean again it's been a long time for me and you've only seen ever seen it actually in school so yeah, I was very excited to readdress it, and I'm curious, Brian, how did you come away feeling about Amadeus? I mean, I'm I'm in I'm in two very weird camps that are they're like on on either sides of the of the riverbank. On one hand, I think it's like marvelous and intoxicating with how it just gives you so much, like the, the the if there was a quotable line from the movie, it's too many notes mm-hmm. and. This gives you everything you could ever want for like, be like immersing yourself in that period. It is so uh, rich in its detail and tapestry of what that time was. On the other side, I have like, I don't know. There, there's a lot of repetition. There's mm-hmm. a lot of places where I feel like we should have raised stakes and we don't, and we just kind of have this. A to B to C to D to E plot. Like we, we know where it's going because we're being, you know, an old Salieri is telling us the story. That yeah. poor priest. Yeah. Like, all right. But all right, buddy. Like, I yeah. get it. You really didn't like him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I think it's hilarious that F. Murray Abraham is almost 90, right? Still he's acting. Not, he's 83. Oh, he's 83. Sorry. He's 83. And, and he is, he was 60 then. He's 60 now. That's yeah. what is in my brain. Yeah. Like, He's 45 making this movie. No, you're not. You're 60. Yeah, I know. He 83, right? If you go by the year, like, I'm only going by how old, I don't know how old their thing Salieri is in this movie, but I think at some point he says, actually, like, it's been 20 years or whatever. So he's supposed to be, like, in his 60s when he's old Salieri. Oh, no, he, 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 he mentions he says years. Thir- he says 30-something year, 32 years, I think. Okay. From the time that, like, Mozart dies to yes. him. Like confessing or whatever. So it's yeah, like, yeah. it's like, he's like 77, let's say sure. he looks like the crypt keeper in this movie. And F Murray, Abraham, like you said, you know, look, he loves, he looks much older, but 
He, he looks way better <laughs> than yes. old Salieri. So good job, F. Murray Abraham, on your on um, your aging. Yeah, o- overall, I'm like th- this is a a love letter to how we make movies, and there, and there are some things in it, the way the way that the music is presented, and mm-hmm. especially with the, the composition and using film as a form to tell to show us how these magicians do this stuff. Yeah, is fantastic. But I also felt like wh- why don't we have a a deeper understanding of where this hate comes from? Why don't we have a, I want to say a more sympathetic Salieri, but like, but a more fleshed out because it, he's a little one note mm. at, at points. Like the performance is fantastic, but I just don't know that that character on the page is telling me what, like, yep, God decided to slap me in the face and now I'm mad. Is, and, that, and that's the inciting incident that's it and we're off to the races right well i mean yes but i mean you're I, I, you can say it like that and it can kind of throw it off but to this character right he is putting all of his stock in the fact that he he believed in a creator that he felt like gave him this ability to create this music and that by working hard and staying clean and 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 you know keeping up some upstanding and chaste or however you, you want to put it, that that would lead to success. And I think it led to him to success. And then when he saw somebody who was the opposite of that, right, who was uncareful with money, was like a giggling goblin or whatever the hell he, you know, he calls, he calls Mozart. It basically is a story about someone's entire worldview being challenged. And instead of being able to accept that there are just people who are more talented than him or that life isn't fair. He responds with, you know, anger. And I think the movie is showing you both of them slowly being driven mad by different things, right? Because it really is about both of these guys going down a road that's leading to their eventual demise. Salieri obviously gets to live longer, but he gets to live longer basically in, in torture, right? And Mozart is going down this path, some of it guided by Salieri to ruin, right? To death, right? To an early death. That's sort of what I think the idea is with Salieri. And I don't think he's supposed to be sympathetic. I I definitely, there are times for me watching the movie where I'm like, I understand where he's coming from, right? Because Mozart at times seems like a complete and utter ass, right? But when you get a picture into who Mozart is as a person, Right. He has his issues. Right. He's not a, he's not like a great guy, but he's not a he's not like a demon. He's generally a pretty affable, just wants to have a good time, just happens to have this insane talent that seems to have been like drilled into him as a child. And that was all he was going to do was was play the piano or compose or, or whatever. But that's only one part of him, right? He he has two parts to his life. And where as Salieri, what, there was only one thing, right? It's it's the music and his livelihood and his life and his personality are all tied up in one thing, right? And when that thing is challenged, it sends his whole world sort of crumbling down. And he responds in a really terrible way. And even though he hates him, right? He hates Mozart. He hates everything about him. He hates the way he acts. He hates the way he behaves. He hates the chances that he gets. He cannot ever deny how great the music is. And he can never lie to Mozart, he can't lie to Mozart, right? He Mozart asks him what he thinks. He can can't help but say it's amazing, it's brilliant, it's astounding. Even if it's couched in like, but the king is this or what you know, whatever. He 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 can't lie to him 
because that is such a core part of his personality. His appreciation and understanding of music is such a core part of his ego. I'm going to skip to the end just for a moment yeah. and ask you a question because I, I brought up a moment ago about, you know, give this a, as, as short a preface as I possibly can, which of you know me is a Herculean task. <laughs> I'll start the clock. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm a musician. I'm a songwriter. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, we live in the 21st century. You pick up a guitar, you come up with some words, you sing along, okay. Mm -hmm. Now, there are people who do that who can be like, oh, yeah, let me just write that in the, in the staff mm -hmm. real quick. Not many. And, and I went to school. There was a music, there was a music school at where I went to college. And my friend, she said she agreed to write some string parts for some songs for me. And I was like, well, what do you need from me? She goes, just give, just give me the disc. Just give me the songs. And sure enough, like two weeks later, she had two scores from songs. I, again, just think, dicking around on guitar. Like, mm -hmm. oh, I write these words. Okay, great. <laughs> and then it went to a four-part string quartet to record it. And I'm standing there and I'm like, I didn't do this. Like, <laughs> yes, I wrote that song. But, but she did the actual work. I didn't yeah. do any work. Yeah. And so I'm always astounded. By the idea of, of you know, uh, he says, I mean, perhaps in Shakespeare in Love too, right? Locked safely in here. Yeah. Like, has it all done? He just needs to write down paper. I don't know how how every person who is a composer in the 18th century doesn't have carpal tunnel. I don't yeah. understand it. My, my question is, so in that scene, towards the end, where Mozart has, has collapsed from exhaustion, mm -hmm. we don't know exactly how he dies, but it's just some hard living, man. I don't know. Mm -hmm. yeah. And Salieri is insistent upon helping him finish this requiem that mm -hmm. he has con commissioned in secret. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's the, I, I feel like it's all genuine. I feel like he wants to be there. I feel like he is enamored with this guy's talent. When he comes, was like, Oh, that's it. No, 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 here's the fire, the string section. It goes like mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. And, and these two guys who can speak that same language, granted one of them is more talented than the other. I, I don't feel like there's any actual animosity in that scene. So in that moment, I I don't think there is. That's the thing, yeah. and I, and I think that's the moment where Salieri, you know, real. I think I think in that moment, if that moment happens, you know, a year, two years before that, right? And it's just you know Mozart is really drunk and can't finish it, and and they can have that moment together. Maybe the the director of both their lives is much different. It's probably the the best way I can explain my feelings on the character and where it goes because. I mean, it's it's kind of the reveal of well, he isn't all Salieri isn't all evil either. No, he's not. He's, he's not evil all evil. All. He's no. just he just has you know the locked in target of well, I gotta take this guy down. And I feel yeah. like he lets his guard down in that moment. Yeah, but he's also I would say in that scene also there's levels because he's not letting Mozart rest, and he knows he needs to rest. He can tell by looking at him. He's driving him in, in an unhealthy way, and he knows he's driving him in an unhealthy way. I don't know if I don't know if he thinks he's gonna die, you know, that that morning, obviously, but he is he has no he still has no sympathy for him as a man, right? Mozart the man, he has no sympathy for. Right? right. Mozart the talent, he is blown away by. And that scene, and you mentioned how they kind of show they kind of dis, they kind of display the music or whatever, or or personify the music. It's such, it's so amazing throughout the whole movie. When Sawyer is like reading music and you hear the music start to play. Mm -hmm. and, and and to me, like, again, I'm not a musician. I'm not a very musical person, but I'm like, even if this isn't exactly the way it is, I can imagine that, you know, when composers or people who are really 
when they read music, they hear it, right? They When they read the notes, they hear the notes in their head. They hear it being played. They hear what they're imagining because they have to because when they're composing, I would imagine to be able to like, you know, imagine what it would sound like. And such a beautiful kind of window into that world. And in that last scene, that writing scene, which I oddly will compare to like the end of Eight Mile, you know, where it's this thing that's not an action scene, but is as thrilling, I think, as most action scenes end up being. It's like the end of Whiplash. Yeah, it is like the end of Whiplash. Absolutely, yes. Where you have but, these these two antagonistic folks figuring out that there is respect among one another. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But the but you know the fact that you can see the Salieri can't. He, he's he's seeing the genius firsthand. Right? He's seen it like you know he's seen it. He's seen the aftermath of the process, right? But he's never seen the actual process and the yeah. speed and and just like the the complications. But also, like you mentioned, I love that there are these moments where he's like, oh, yeah, yeah and then you're going to do this, right? And he's like, yeah, of course, that's what I'm going to do. That they have like that. He yeah. has like an understanding of you can see you can see the talent in him as well in those moments. He's like, wait, 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 I don't I don't understand. And then <laughs> yeah. he gets it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then um, when he gets in, he really he's like, oh, my God, you know, this is unbelievable or whatever. Just a, an amazing, you know, a, amazing scene between the two of them. And, you know, I think, you know, Abraham obviously he won the Oscar. He he gets a lot. He has a lot of the most showy things to do as far as like, you know, those big scenes that he has, but Hulse is also fantastic in, in, in this movie. And well, it's, I, mean, I, I would, I would disagree. He doesn't get to do like, he has to internalize so much and Hulse gets the fun job of being the, the clown. Yes. He gets right, to be like, a clown, but I'm saying Abraham gets all like the real dramatic, serious stuff. Abraham yeah. for the most part, there are a couple scenes of the Mozart, obviously where, where that happens, but a lot of his stuff is, is heightened. It's always heightened. It's, you know, Whenever he sees, you know, the, the, when the stranger comes to the door, who, you know, obviously Abraham's Salieri was dressing that way on purpose because he knows his father dressed that way and his father died. So he's trying to play on his on his on his mental weakness in those moments. And that like music that plays whenever that thing is like, it's so effective. It's so effective when, when that happens. And his absolute fear, right, about this guy and, and the guy who keeps coming and and checking up on his progress and he, often you mentioned Shakespeare and love for it, but it, it also has, it's, it's like there's a lot of Shakespeare and lovey stuff happening. Cause he was also writing for this other, you know, acting who, troupe who is, I know master of the revels. Yeah. Master of the revels. Man in 1984, he's a good looking man. That guy 14 years. Yeah. Bad. Yeah. Simon. Sorry, sorry Simon Callow. Simon Callow. That's right. Yeah. 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 But you know, he, they have that sort of, Play his whole with each life other. Is, you are you the X Factor guy? That's his whole life. <laughs> and one of the things I really like about the movie as well is that I feel like it brings this very what what you were what you were kind of grown up when you grow up and you're kind of taught about classical music. It feels very remote, like it feels like very high, right? It's like this highbrow, like it's up here, like it's it's so classy. It's you know it it's no connection to life now or whatever. You get that sense, right? that it's almost removed. Um, and this really brings it down, right? To just like, no, these were just like people, you know, who had to live in the world. Mozart was so poor when he died, he got, he got thrown into a grave, you know, a, a, a mass grave because he couldn't afford his own coffin. Not not, not, not true to dramatize in the movie that way, but he was put in a common grave, which is just, uh, it is individualized, but it could be excavated after 10 years. And, and aristocracy got to, keep their plots and mm. the common folk didn't gotcha so he was buried okay. somewhere and and moved 
later on and we, no one knows where it is but it wasn't a mass grave yeah okay well but in the movie right with in the, the movie the, yeah it's, 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 it's kind it's, of illustrating it that way like um, which, which, which sends home the same point yeah exactly and and you know just all throughout like you know mozart is a guy who lives in an apartment in vienna and a nice apartment a nice apartment which he obviously is going to debt to to have because nobody will hire him a lot of because salieri is sort of like using his power to pull strings and i think you mentioned the repetitiveness of the movie and i i do agree with you in some instances i think there are times where it's like okay guys this movie could no we didn't need the extra 20 like minutes we see him debut new work and it looks largely the same and, and i know that it's greatest hits of we gotta show figaro we gotta show don giovanni we gotta yeah. show magic flute we gotta do all this yeah but th- but there aren't differences in those depictions that yeah for the story i don't think yeah the only thing i think it does is it does kind of show this this way that salieri although feeling like i think in a lot of ways it, it's this weird inverted dynamic right where salieri feels like the put upon person in his own story right when in fact over this 12 years or whatever this movie takes place across or something like that it is really like him always in power slowly chipping away at everything that mozart has right to the point where mozart comes to the emperor first as like this honored guest who is like the you know everyone wants to see and meet and he's going to be the new superstar composer of of vienna right by the end he is you know composing this sort of like comedy thing for this acting troupe that ever nobody respects and all these ways that Salieri sort of like chips away at who Mozart was supposed to be and ends up being by the time right. he, he was making Citizen Kane and then made epic movie. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There are a couple scenes. I just in that kind of journey. I want to, I want to touch on one of them is there's a scene well, well, where before, before, before you do sorry, go ahead. Yeah. What, what is your general takeaway? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's behind. I, st- I, I think it's a fantastic movie. If I remember, it's kind of transcendent in this movie. I think that he is, I, I genuinely think looking at it, it's one of the best performances I think I've ever seen in, in a movie. There's just so much going on. And like you said, so all of it has to be so mannered. Well, there's that scene where he propositions Mozart's wife. And that, that was a, scene that's not in the theatrical cut okay and if you so I'm, I'm assuming if you had seen the theatrical cut why she's so mad that he's there mm-hmm. at the end wouldn't make yeah. much sense yeah however i feel like i don't know i feel like us seeing that scene that can't say it's out of character because well that's what we were shown but it there's nothing else that suggests that he i mean he wants what mozart has yes that, that and, and i think he realizes that he isn't that guy. He's not going to bang this other guy's wife mm-hmm. just because he can and 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 winds up embarrassing her. And, and, I, and I honestly think that, not that it was his idea the whole time, but first of all, I don't think he expected her to show up because that's like the reaction he has. But I think almost what he does to her is worse, you know, than if he had just slept with her. Sure. You know what I mean? It, it, it was, it's so, it's just so mean. He's just so mean to her. Right. What are you doing here, idiot? Yeah. Like you asked me here, bro. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm paraphrasing. But and, and I think it it's got that great and I use this in the classical sense of the word tragedy about it where you know what's coming and you can yeah. and the character is just steamrolling towards it and there's nothing you can there's nothing anyone can do to stop them. And I think that really works. I think the music, you know, obviously most of it's all actual, you know, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart work. But the use of the music and just the celebration 
there are so many, you know, biopics about musicians and different and all different eras and all different places. And some of them do a great job of, you know, using the music. Some of them just make it almost like a jukebox musical when they, when they do it right. This, the music is so, and it, it helps this classical music. So it can act as score a lot of the times, right? It doesn't, it doesn't have, it doesn't have lyrics, but the use of the music in the movie to drive home these scenes and to, you know, to give these scenes meaning and different meanings, I, I think is, is so well done and so wonderful. It, it's long. It's, it's, it's very long, you know, but, but, it, but, but it's, but it's not punishing. There's no, there's nothing, but it's an, it's, it, it's, Again, we, we see this a lot of times. It's a kind of movie they just don't, they don't make, you're not going to make a three hour Amadeus Mozart. Well, they, they just made Come on. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's true. It's a dying form, I would say. But I would say that there's probably a lot more flash in Babylon than it is in yeah. Amadeus, I mean, right? Here's maybe the, maybe the best compliment I can pay it is, did you see Baz Luhrmann's Elvis? I did not, no. Would you like a digital code? Or do you have HBO Max? I do have HBO Max, yeah. Okay, it's excellent. It's excellent. But if you told me in five years, I don't know, that Chris Nolan was making an Elvis movie, I'd be like, all right, I'll see that. Right? <laughs> it's been 38 years. Nobody is making another Mozart movie. No. Nobody needs to make another Mozart no. movie. There, there's no. No. Like, we, we have this. It exists. And yeah. it's pretty damn good. Yeah. I mean, what, what if Mozart was, like, a little bit more gritty? Exactly. What if he what if he knew like martial arts and fought off criminals in in, in between when he was composing Guy Ritchie's What's, what's <laughs> Wolfgang's mother's name? I because mean, I think in a lot of ways, right, the movie, although it came it came out in nineteen eighty four, in many ways it, it doesn't feel like a movie an old movie. And I think that is achieved because much like the music, they bring the music down to like normal levels. This isn't a, it doesn't feel stayed, right? It doesn't feel like a period drama that is all like, we're in court and we're all very proper and we're doing this. And we're, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not dry. It's at no point dry. It is, it is trying, I think, to feel like what it would feel like if you were living then, right? And not just like what it looks like from the outside. That is a, that's a really interesting way. If you show this movie to a hundred people and ask them who'd never seen it, never heard mm -hmm. of it, like, yeah. This was made in 1963. Yeah. Nope. This was made in 1997. Mm -hmm. Nope. It was 2015. Yeah. Like, like any of those things kind of make sense. Yeah. Which, which is why I think, and I think Foreman, you know, as Milos Foreman when in his big movies, I haven't seen all his movies, but movies, I, I think it feels similar. Like Cuckoo's Nest also doesn't really have like a, this is an old movie vibe to it. You know what I mean? It, he he was very good at getting into like the the getting low right to sort of see it from the ground and not see it from the air and I think that helps the movie sort of propel itself along in 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 many ways. You mean that figuratively or literally? Figuratively, not okay. in the low camera, like kind of low art, like you know, kind of treating it. You know, he treats this like you would treat the story of like a musician coming up in the streets of whatever. You know what I mean? And then we got kind of. Interested in high society, you know? I should note, though, this is one of those movies where you cast people mm -hmm. and you tell them whoever fucking accent you want. Oh, yeah, definitely. He doesn't care. <laughs> like, like I, I feel it's a weird comparison to make. I feel, like, retroactively bad for Costner and Prince of Thieves and the <laughs> shit that he got. Yeah. Because Tom Hulse is just an American. 
and he's just doing an American accent. He's not even doing anything. Not even nothing. <laughs> nothing. And it's fine. It doesn't it's totally matter. fine. It's yeah. totally fine. But like, but nobody ever goes, oh, that Tom Hulse. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Just be American. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, again, poor Kevin Costner is not the tack I thought I was going to take on this, yeah, on this yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Here we are. I mean, if anything's more about Hulse, it's, it's, it's the laugh. It's that giggle. Give it to me one more time. That's good. It's good. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You had, you had, you had, you had notes. You had, you had scenes you wanted to Oh, yeah. About. I had scenes I, I wanted to go through. But yeah. But, but so we, we could talk about that casting a little bit too, because I, I did want to mention, I, I will say, we'll, we'll probably talk about more movies that this guy is in, and he's a piece of shit person. What, you Jeffrey just call Jones. Him JJ? Yeah, call JJ. JJ. Jeffrey Jones. He's a piece of shit. Every yes. movie that he's in from this era, though, he's great in. And yep. he's, he's great in this too, playing, ex- he, he like, he's this, this sort of like, sort of in touch but out of touch as in touch as a like a royal could be but yeah. s- also very out of touch but he's not playing like this like you'll do what i say kind of no, guy no, no. you know yeah i mean as an emperor has quite an open mind no he's 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 very good and the less we talk about him the better i i was yeah. I, I was hoping we would, we would pregame about that but yeah yeah if I don't want to ignore, he's in the movie, so I don't want to ignore that he's well, in the yeah. movie, uh, right? If, but you know what we're talking about, uh, we're not going to bring it up, but uh, yeah. if you Google Jeffrey Jones, Jeffrey Jones, bad guy, you'll, mm. you'll get the information. Oh, I yeah. got the information. <laughs> you know, uh, Roy Detrice, who just passed away not that long ago, plays Mozart's father, you know, character actor for many, many years, a big, a big audio book, like narrator guy. I think he did all of the Game of Thrones books. On, on audiobook. Why would you spend 12% of your life doing that? <laughs> Very good in this movie as Montart's father, Elizabeth Berridge, who plays. She has a quality about her. I, I feel, I'm, I've been trying for the last week to like place who she reminds me of because she feels like somebody else. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I can't um, quite get it. Yeah. She's very good, though. Like, you know, these mo- this movie is not very kind to its female characters, you know, for the most part. She is almost fully, de- she's only almost fully defined by what Mozart wants, right? So the character itself is not great, but I think she's pretty good in the movie. Christine Ebersol, who plays Katarina, who is sort of like the one that Salieri kind of has like a crush on, you know, she, who gets angry. It's more than that, though. Like, he, yeah, he, he feels ownership of, of her when he's never touched her. Yeah, absolutely. And then like the Count Orsino is Charles K and Kenneth McMillan plays Schlum. I can't remember his name. I don't know how to say his name. We the other. Say, we better say Schlum. Schlumber. Something like that. Schlumber. And then gets cut off on, on the IMDb. But he's like the other sort of, you know, guy in the court. One of the guys in the court with, with the. And everyone's everyone's very good. But yeah, I wanted, I wanted to talk about scenes really quick. So one thing I talk about. So the lessons thing or right? a big, a big, a big plot point in this movie is that trying to make you understand that the way musicians made most of their money in this time was they gave lessons to, to, to well-to-do people, right? And Mozart can't get any lessons because basically Salieri has been telling everybody that he will sleep with their daughter or whatever if, if yeah. he does it. And, and, but he finally does get this, Salieri is like, I've got someone that I can set you up with. And he, you know, he's, he's sent him up to fail. He obviously doesn't like him. So he goes to this guy's this this guy's house, right? And he has a lot of dogs, and it's this very like it's sort of this very like a lot of Hulse scenes. It's a little bit higher comedy, right? It's getting it's a little bit more like goofy, right? But the thing I think is hilarious, and just bringing it to this level is like, can you? It's Mozart at this time. He's he's 
famous, right? Mozart is famous yes. in this time. Yes. It's not only situations where it's like, oh, he died penniless because no one ever bought any of his compositions. That's not how it was. He was very famous. And he's just playing in this guy's house. He's just, you know, it's like, I don't know how to, what mod, what, what, like modernly like compare it, but you know, it, it's like, I don't know if somebody hired like Chris Martin to come, <laughs> come play at their house. I have a joke. I have a joke. It's a very specific joke with our, uh, Chris Oliphant from mm-hmm. my old talking movies days. I, he was a rapper and mm-hmm. rappers always, you know, jump on each other's tracks all the time. And there had and there is like a, he's not going to listen to this. I'll t- I'll tell the story. He <laughs> made a record almost 15 years ago, and Raekwon from Wu Tang Clan is on it, and it cost four thousand dollars for mm-hmm. 16 bars, which I still believe is money well spent. Like yeah. Raekwon's on your record, like that's mm-hmm. fantastic. Yeah. And and we were working on music one night, and and the joke came about like, what if Justin Timberlake came to your house right now to record a hook, and he's as famous as he is right now in in 2009 mm-hmm. but he really he, he took you aside and said twistless we're gonna need that too like yeah. that's that's what i think of like yeah totally absolutely if, if jt was was showing your daughter how to do some dance moves yeah in 2022 mm-hmm. and then you don't pay him because your dog is yapping yeah and, and you know and he kind of leaves that or he storms out basically and i was like this this is below me right i can't do this you know, and there's a lot of that with Mozart throughout the movie, and some of it can come off as pompous, right, or self-involved or whatever. But in the end, really, most of the time, he's right. He, he he's right about what's going on. Like he's right that the, I mean, time has proven out, right, that these things he wrote were brilliant, and people weren't appreciating them the way they should appreciate them when they had him, right? Right. And he has and, no humility and no modesty. No, he has no humility and no modesty. And I, I think that what raises interesting questions about what this movie, I think this, the kind of question this movie is raising, which is like, what does hard work, what does hard work buy you? Like, what do you, what do you deserve? Do you deserve something because you work, you, because you work harder than somebody else? Are you owed something because of your talents? Are you owed something because of your hard work? You know, how much leeway well, I mean, does it's, talent it's, it's buy in you? It's the beginning. It's in the first yeah. fucking 10 minutes, mm-hmm. right? Salieri talked about him being that boy and praying that God would let him become mm-hmm. a a vessel to create music. And I could also be famous. Mm-hmm. Like he says it in the same breath. Yeah. Like he also wants the accolades. He also he he is not selfless. He is not trying no. to just be God's servant. No. He he has the same ego yes. that Mozart has that just went unfulfilled. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And he's got his little, he's got his little kingdom, right? He's got his little, like, he's the court composer. He sort of like rules the town as far as like, I'm the music. I get all the best students. The, the, the emperor looks to me to do it. And all it takes for his ego to just fall apart is this guy who's real good at doing it and is better than him. And he can't handle it because he sees other people recognizing that he is better than him. And, but it's not just him, right? It's him and, and all those people in the court who are just like, they don't want Mozart to succeed because they can tell he's not he's not like them, right? He's not right. one of them. And they all try to box him out. They all try to force him out, right? And you get that thing where, where he's doing, yeah. what, what's the first opera he's putting up? That well, uh, What's the one that he yawns at twice or whatever? Marriage that, of Figaro. Figaro, Figaro, right? The Marriage of Figaro, yes. So at first that's like a big deal, right? Because Figaro is banned, right? In, in yeah. 
in his empire because it sows like hate between the classes it's, and all this French. Stuff. Yeah. It's French. And you know, they, they mention you know, the French revolution and stuff like that. And it brewing There's a, you know, they, they, they leave most of the political stuff kind of like on the under burner. Cause a lot of these people wouldn't even feel that. Right. Because they're so high up, but you know, and, and Mozart's is like, that's a, and I think it's a really good scene too. A really good whole scene when he's sort of like campaigning for why he should be, why they should be able to do it. Right. And, you know, eventually he kind well, of I mean, wins. I'm thinking it the whole time. I'm like, just play it for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And see what he says. Yeah, yeah. Which he does, and he gets to do it. And but then oh, all on the way, right? There's like the he's tearing out these pages. The 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 director of the opera is tearing these pages because ballet is banned on on the stage. Which I'm like, that's so like, fucking you, random. You just made it up. Yeah. <laughs> Why is ballet banned? You know. But we get, this, we get this scene right, and I love the way it builds to this like kind of false conclusion, which is the emperor comes. He watches it. He's like, why is there no music here? We put the ballet back in and you think like, okay, this is it. Like this, is, they're going to put this thing up. They're going to do it. And it's going to be like huge success. And it's all going to be even more upset. Right. But Mozart is so talented that he's going to win out the day anyway. And then it's a failure. Right. Cause the, he, he, he yawns and he's, that's when you said that the too many notes mm -hmm. sort of like quote, which is like, to anybody who's ever done anything artistic in their entire life and had to deal with somebody who doesn't understand art but thinks they do, you know, it's not, maybe it's not too many notes, but there is like, you know, something that you've heard in your life and you, I completely, really, yeah, whatever like, it might what? be, whatever it might be that, and, and Mozart just being like, and what I do love about what I think is endearing about Mozart, right. Is that he doesn't care. This is the emperor, right? He, he knows that, it, that he's wrong and he's going to tell him he's wrong. And I, I enjoyed that aspect of it as well. And the fact that he, but again, it's the thing, he's so talented, right? That he gets away with it because in the end, like if he had pushed it too far, obviously things would have probably gone bad for him. But I, I like that there is like that sort of scene between them. And again, Salieri this whole time, it's speaking out of both sides of his mouth, right? Sure. Lying to him, saying he's going to do certain things, sort of using his influence to, to box him out. So yeah, I, I thought that stuff was, was really good. I'm going to say too, Cynthia Nixon is in this movie. Yep. As I made, she's 18. Yeah, I, I, I watched a movie a couple weeks back that used to be a favorite of mine. That one of those movies my dad loves, and mm. I was like, oh, this will be great. And I didn't watch it with him. I watched it by myself. Remember Let It Ride with Richard Dreyfus? Yes, yeah. It's one of those comedies that doesn't have any jokes in it. Mm -hmm. And So like, I didn't hate it, but I was just like, oh, yeah. That was 89, and she showed up in that, and mm -hmm. she has braces in that movie. Oh wow, wow! And that's the whole plot. Like he, he, she's being hired to spy, right, on on Mozart. And the, there is a Venn diagram with this movie and the Prestige. <laughs> a little, yes, absolutely, yes, there is. It, I mean, a they're about bit. similar things, right? They're about similar sure. things in in many ways. Except in that movie, it's it, the kind of sadness of this movie, right? Is that Mozart has no fucking idea. He has no idea. Like the Prestige is at least it's two people battling each other, and they know they're battling each other, yes. right? This is a movie about one guy trying to destroy another person. And that guy has no idea. In fact, he thinks the other guy is his friend, you know? And the the depth to Salieri, the, 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 the veneer, how thin the veneer is of his sort of confidence and abilities. He puts on that opera, right? Everybody loves it. The emperor loves it. But he, but the fact that Mozart doesn't love it drives him crazy. He can't handle it, right? I mean, for a guy who says who has no filter, right? 
that's probably the most calculated line in the entire movie. Yes. That he says <laughs> of, I certainly didn't believe music like that was possible. <laughs> and to me, I'm like, oh, that is harsh. <laughs> Those... I mean, it, it, it's it's one step below. Those were certainly notes. It's exactly, yeah. Which he basically says at first when when, yeah. when he walks up to him, you know. And, and I think, you know, but but again, that's another part of the sadness is like, the only reason Mozart's doing that is because he likes him, right? He, he doesn't want to hurt his feelings, right? And, and he it's another musician. He doesn't want to hurt another musician's feelings, right? Because mm-hmm. the, the first time he meets him and he, do, he like rearranges his little like march that, that he makes. He rearranges it into a motif. From the song that got me into Allstate for voice. Oh, really? <laughs> I messed up a lot of those words. But you know what? It's fine. It's fine. fine. It's fine. And, you know, it's at the moment where he's not doing it right to piss off Salieri. He's doing it because he can't help himself. Right? He sees this thing and he knows it can be better and he's going to make it better because that's all he cares about. Right? It, is it being the best thing it can be? I'm going to ask a stupid question because it is pretty obvious. It's pretty well spoken spelled out but it doesn't actually happen in the movie gary's plan is to make mozart write the requiem Mm -hmm. kill and then pass off the requiem as his yeah i mean that and that's thing i was talking about before when he's explaining his plan to the the priest or whatever and the old version of him which is like it's like terrifying (laughs) yeah 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 yes that there comes fishing because he the, the 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 requiem never gets finished and also his wife kind of like walks in on the whole thing and has it locked up. Right. So he can't get away with his plan, which was, you know, his plan was, was doomed from the beginning. You know, it's not like Mozart worked in a vacuum, right? He had a wife who was there and his plan was always flawed, but he's so driven by this, this jealousy. And, you know, and in fact, he does really, he does end up killing him. Just not the way I think that he, he planned to kill him. Right. And of course, all this this stuff is is very embellished for the play. There was this was a play first on Broadway, a very successful play, which Mark Hamill starred in as 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 Amadeus in that and into the movie. And it's you know obviously it's, the, the Joker laugh tracks. Yeah, yeah, but it's you know dramatized for this the the relationship with Salieri and Mozart was apparently very different in real life. Salieri was not like this chaste man. He had a wife and kids and all this kind of so it wasn't. Exactly. The same. Stuff is reconstructed for, for this movie, but that doesn't matter. Right. The, the, the movie is the movie and it's not claiming to be this like documentary about what actually happened. But like I said before, the thing I, I think I'm most driven about or most most hits me is that it really is. And once again, it, it, it really doesn't feel like an old movie because a lot of sort of what Salieri is feeling is this thing that we see a lot right in modern society from very powerful, rich people where they have this weird inverted sort of complex this this persecution complex like they see themselves as the persecuted ones and all these people who have nothing are the ones who are sort of like the ones who are, have their foot on their neck right and right. and that is that is how Salieri acts Mozart is poor his work is right. commercially rejected everywhere right he can't get he can't get an opera to play for anybody and anymore he's losing that, everything from go, sorry go no you can go ahead no that, that line from the good place that Brent was like getting into Princeton. Mm. I earned my spot. Yeah. Just like my father and his father <laughs> before him. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of that. Yeah, and yet Salieri is rich, successful, powerful, and just all he cares about is destroying it. That's all he cares about. And I, I find that to be like very fascinating character study, right? A, a character portrait of, of a person like him. And, and you really do see Mozart really just like he wastes away in front of us on screen. And 
that's the other things about the length that I think is in repeated scenes that is effective is that you, you see him go from this very like, you know, bobbing around guy to someone who is pallid. He's depressed. All this stuff, you know, he, he's no longer having someone, you know, he's not a, a, ma a masquerade party where people are holding him up backwards and he's playing piano backwards. You know, he's not that guy anymore, right? He is despondent and at the end of his rope, his father has died. He, he's mentally unstable. You know, he probably, he probably has venereal diseases <laughs> that he doesn't know about. He probably has syphilis and, you know, he's just wasting away. And, and, and you know, and th this thing where this plot, right, to sort of have him write his own requiem and then and then Solari pass it off as his own. His, his greatest triumph, right? And what I think is so fascinating about his psychology is he doesn't care, right, that he didn't write it because he wants to punish God, right? That is his big thing is like, I will take the credit for your, 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 your vessel's work. And, you know, that will be my greatest, like having one over on the almighty or whatever. Mm -hmm. And the fact that, that that's his motivation is just, it's it's particularly psychotic, right? That it, that it's fascinating, and then yeah, we already talked about the, the the final scene and so where it where it drives to, and yeah, I I just I love the movie. I I think I think it's a really special film, and that's how a bill becomes a law. Oh, okay, okay. I I didn't I didn't know that. I wasn't I wasn't sure, but thank you for uh, filling me in, Brian. But we're not here to talk about Schoolhouse Rock. <laughs> or the American system of government. Um, we are here to talk about and rank Amadeus on our yes. list of the 50 greatest films of all time. Obviously, as we've been doing the last couple of weeks, we've been cutting in here to rank these movies as we change the way we've ranked them. So, And speaking of change, I think maybe, maybe let's go top down. This week. Okay. So you so want me to listen? Is this top? movie better than Tick Tick Boom? Ah, oh, I see what you're saying. That's, that is, that's uh, a good plan there, Brian. Let me. Be, 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 because we're, we're inadvertently beating the shit out of the Fablemans with a baseball bat every week. <laughs> we definitely are. <laughs> and it's really not fair. No, 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 no. Um, the Fablemans is a fine film. A movie we both liked. A, a movie I definitely liked. Um, all right. Is Amadeus better than Tick Tick Boom? I would say no. As would I. Um, is it better than everything, everywhere, all at once? I would say no. I would say no but, as well, but it's getting, we're getting closer. We're getting closer. Sure. Um, as much as I love everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, is it better than the Banshees of Inishirin? I believe it is. You think it is better than the Banshees of Inishirin? I do. Um, you know, I have a hard time argue, really arguing with that. Point? So such a such a weird question. It is ha a weird question. In fact, in fact, right? Is this unique? Has anyone ever asked the question? Is Amadeus better than the Banshees of Inishirin? I would say it's early enough for when the Banshees of Inishirin has come out that no, that has not happened yeah. yet. Um, no one has said out loud the words "Is Amadeus better than the Banshees of Inishirin?" Um, <clears throat> oddly, very different, but oddly sort of similar, where it's like two people. Who sure. are who are who are kind of destroying each other with one but, being like I like you, and the other one being like I hate you, but more <laughs> subterfuge happening in Amadeus. That's really in, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Vanjies of Inishirin. Um Yeah, I mean I I I, I, could, I could be there. I real I, I like the Vanjies of Inishirin even more than more than you did. I'm 
I, I mean, when we get with the next question, so, so, so I mean, we're, we're split here, right? I mean, you're not saying no, you're not no, saying yes, no, no, no. but but you will absolutely say that Amadeus is better than Top Gun Maverick. 100%. So, so why, why don't we split the difference there? Why don't we put it at number four? Okay. All right. I feel like you being nice like this is like setting me up for some future like SmackDown <laughs> or something. <laughs> <laughs> where you've got like receipts like you're like well well when we did the amadeus ranking i like <laughs> no. no i'm just picking like this is a very very big leap but i'm picturing the movies you love as the characters from toy story 3 going into the incinerator <laughs> and there's nothing you can do to stop it no there's nothing you can do so amadeus there i think number four it's place and we didn't have to say anything bad about the fablements today we, we got next week. We got, it's fine. We got next week to talk bad about the Fablemans. Um, all right. So Amadeus is going to rest right at number four, which, uh, you know, obviously it keeps the same, the same top three and pushes everything else down a number. Um, Fablemans sticking around at number 12 uh, down there. It just keeps kind of moving on down the list as we go, as the Shakespeare in love, as it should be. Um, it keeps moving down. <laughs> down the list um do you want to share brian how people get in touch with us yeah you hit us up at, uh, at 50 films on tiktok that's where we put a lot of content out there but the, if you're if you're more of a geriatric millennial like us uh you can go to the old twitter at at 50 films pod uh it's also that on instagram at 50 films pod all spelled out f-i-f-t-y mm-hmm and that's also the email address at gmail.com. If yep. people want to reach out, if people really want to be geriatric and they can reach out to us yes. via email there. All right. That's going to do it for, for this week. Next week, we wrap up our artists at a crossroad series with inside Llewellyn Davis, which um, nope. inside Lewin Davis, inside Lewin Davis. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Brian. No, I thought you were going to redo it. I was just trying to tell you. <laughs> next oh, that's the, next, it's staying in next week. We wrap up. Our artists at a crossroad series with inside Lewin Davis. You you say that like you didn't watch the goddamn movie and hear his name. I haven't watched. I, maybe I haven't watched it, Brian. We're not we're not reviewing it till next week. Oh yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Who's to say? Who's to say? Cohen Brothers movie. I'm very excited to watch it. Very excited to check it out. See where it ranks on this list. But until then, thank you, Brian. Thank you, Bobby. And thank you to everybody who's been listening. Until next time, be good to one another. Later.